Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and a special guest tonight, Ernie Irvin, the 1991 Daytona 500 champion. Ernie, thanks so much for joining the show tonight. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about doing it. Great. We're excited to have you. Um, you know, where we want to kind of start is the beginning of your career. Um, you know, talk, if you could talk a little bit about that. I know you went to Stockton and ran there, and your dad was a racer. Um, how much influence did your dad have on, on your career uh, starting off early early in your career? Well, you know, dad was, dad was you know, um, I mean, I was following after my dad and just, you know, wanted to be like him and, and do what he was doing. And, and um, so I, I started um, racing go-karts and started racing um, cars at Stockton and, and stuff. And just um, um, dad was dirt racing and I was pavement racing. So it was a little, we didn't race together much, but um, we were just always, always working on the car and, and trying to go faster. I mean, that's one thing we talked about in terms of, you know, your father, and then I guess we're going to talk about it later in terms of your situation with Jared. Uh, one thing uh, that brings us towards our show, of course, is the NASCAR side, and you decided and after being winning races, winning championships out, out at home to go and move out to Charlotte in uh, 1984, and you brought out a... Uh, a guy that uh, has had a great history also in the sport, Mark Reno. Um, you both had long yeah. careers together, but what did, how did you guys connect at first, and how did it work out that you two both decided to say, hey, let's get in a pickup truck, bring one late model, and drive from California out to Charlotte to go inside a rundown south? Well, what happened was is, is Mark um, Reno, he went to work for, Mark Martin, like in 1981, um, something like that. And he worked for Mark Martin. And then when Mark Martin's team, um, you know, Mark, they just ran out of money. And so when they sold everything and it was basically um, not going to race no more. And so then Mark, he opened his own shop. And then me and him used to, I mean, I used to, helped build some of the cars that, that Mark um, worked on in California. So that's that was our relationship. And so we've, we've always been friends about, you know, working on cars together and, and um, you know, and then racing. So me and him, we, we started, you know, building our own cars there and, and racing, racing at Concord Speedway and, and stuff like that. And, and so we were really, we were pretty successful. And, um, you know, and then, then Mark decided he wanted to, um, put a cup car together. And so we, we got everything we could and, you know, a bunch of parts and pieces from everybody and, and put the whole thing together. And, you know, Mark was the, the brains about the whole thing. And, and then we, um, ended up, um, getting Earnhardt to sponsor it. So it was um pretty awesome. Um, and then being able to go out and, and you know, we made our the first race and and we run that thing we end up um like towards the back because we blew up, so yeah, some of the free parts weren't very good <laughs> right, so there was no money attached to that deal from what I understand I, I've read some stuff about it 
Um, just kind of Earnhardt's endorsement and some free parts. But I heard kind of Kenny Schrader uh, helped put that deal together. Um, can you go into any detail about how that deal involved and what Kenny kind of did for you there uh, for Schrader, to get your first cup start there in Richmond? Yeah, Schrader, Schrader basically put the deal together because me and Mark were working on some Earnhardt stuff and um, we we're just doing doing odds and ends for him because um, he was – he was always hunting and and things he wanted things built, and so um. So then we were building this car, and so um, um actually Kenny comes by, because he was coming by the shop all the time, and he comes by and he says, so what are you guys doing with this car? And so Mark said, well Ernie's gonna run run it at Richmond, and so he says, oh really? So who's gonna sponsor it? And Mark's and Mark says, "No, we really don't have a sponsor. You can't race without a sponsor." Says, "Well, you know, we we think we might be able to 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 do it. We're just you know trying to beg for whatever we can." And um, Trader says, "You know, I'm driving down to Darlington tomorrow with Earnhardt, and I'll get him to sponsor your the car because he's opening a Chevrolet dealership." perfect thing for him to do advertise on your car and um and we said okay Schrader, uh, good luck and um <laughs> so we we never thought he was ever going to come back and say oh we got a deal but um he come back the next day after the darlington race and he said okay guys we got the deal and we were oh man this is awesome wow. you know so the first thing i was saying well how much money well <laughs> That was part of the the the, the problem because Ernard says he won't give you any money. He <laughs> says he's going to give you credibility, and your credibility you got to take and make money out of it. And and I I told Mark I said, how is that going to work? I mean how I mean how would that pay for tires or anything? He said, you know what? It's probably the the best thing we can do. And so we did it. And you know when it's all said and done. It was the smartest thing we ever did because yeah. Earnhardt gave us credibility, you know, and how much, how much would that cost? I mean, it's, you know, it's uh you, you can't buy it. So, I mean, Earnhardt was able to, to put his name on it. And, and, you know, it was basically, it was basically a home run for us. All right. I mean, talking about Schrader and, he said, well, it's funny how you told that. And just found I was hearing Schrader talking there, too. Because the story and the way he tried to convince you guys and all, it's, it's just funny. And he was on the download recently and told some great stories. Yeah. So as a friend, as somebody that you two have been connected for many years, uh, I'm curious, and Clayton also, it's like, do you have any stories about Schrader that are uh, clean and PG that you can tell uh, the fans or that, are, that to kind of give us more about the kind of man and what Schrader meant or what has what he has meant or what he's done in the sport and turning still racing. It's kind of hard to tell a clean one about Schrader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kenny, Kenny's a he's a good friend, and I mean. I remember when I had first moved here in North Carolina, and um, 
you know, Trader was always doing stuff at his his shop and farm and stuff, and so um, so he needed help moving this or moving that, and he would call me and say, hey, man, can you come help me do this? Okay, so I'd go over there and do that. So we, we kind of became friends, and, you know, and I mean, again, me and, me and Kenny are still good friends right now, and um, so we 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 enjoy, you know, the little bit we get to spend time together and just have fun. And you know, I get to I went down to um, over to Volusia County um, in the in the um, in the winter, and you know, during during speed weeks, Shredder was over there racing. So I went over there and and I was talking to him. So I mean, it, it's just he's just a good guy and. You know, he's just um, you know, I mean, me me and him have been been friends like that. So, I mean, I used to always tell Schrader, I says, Schrader, how many races have you won? He said, No, I can't really count them all. <laughs> so I said, Okay, <laughs> keep keep trying to count them. Yeah. For and sure, he's he's, he's out certainly won. Yeah, he certainly won a lot in his career. Uh, talking in circles tonight, Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthew with our special Ernie Irvin, uh, the 1991 Daytona 500 champion. Ernie, you get into 87, uh, you make your cup debut, we talked about the Earnhardt deal, and then you kind of strike a deal with D.K. Ulrich, you, you run his cars through 88 and 89, the 88 and 89 seasons. Uh, what did D.K. mean to your career, and how great was he for the sport? There's so many big names who either D.K. helped out or uh, gave their first opportunities to. Uh, including yourself, uh, if you could just dive into your your time there with DK Ulrich for a little while. Well, I mean, DK was a, a great guy. You know, he didn't have a whole lot of money, but he was able to put deals together. And DK always said, "said You know, as as long as I got a race car, you can drive it." You know, and so okay. So when when we we um, developed trying to race together and and started started and. And um, and then, you know, basically we're all you're always looking for a sponsor, and um, so so finally DK landed one with Kroger, and so he said, okay, we got a deal, we'll do this, we'll do this. There was no contract. There was just it's like okay, DK said, okay, you know, you're gonna you're gonna drive for me, and I'm gonna pay you this. Okay, so I mean it all was a kind of a handshake and and. You know, and so then, then the the I, I ran for rookie of the year, ended up second for with Ken Bouchard, and so I ended up um, so then the next year, DK called me and he said, hey, said I really don't have no deal right now, so I mean I, I can race you a little bit, but I can't race very much, you know. And he said you're more than welcome to see if you can get another some other deal. So okay, you know, appreciate it. So and that's where the the deal with Schrader and um and Junie Dunleavy because Junie Dunleavy Schrader had drove for Junie and so Junie um Junie Schrader actually called um Junie and said hey I got you a driver and so Schrader told him he said yeah no I mean he does really good and so then me and Junie um worked the deal out and. And he had a sponsor. Um, supposedly, it was called True Cure, and it says some sort of silicone or something. And so, 
So Junie had a deal, and so we went to Daytona, and we went to Daytona, Rockingham, and one other track. And, and you know, finally, finally Junie comes to me, and he says, you know, the sponsor has never paid me any money at all, and so I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to keep going. You know, and so we're like, oh, wow, okay. Which, I mean, Junie... Junie's the most honest guy in the in the world, and so um, I told Junie, I said, "Hey, you know, I'll, if, if you want me to drive anything, you just you just let me know." And um, so he said, "Well, man, maybe maybe you can get another deal put together, you know." Well, it ended up that um that was the same time that they were gonna let Phil Parsons go at the four car, so they um called me and wanted to know if I wanted to go test with them um, down in Atlanta. And, I mean, it was like, it was no-brainer. Um, it was just easy to, to say, yep, I want to do that. And so we went down there and tested and, and ran good, um, didn't crash. That's what we were worried about because it had been raining and the track was wet and stuff. And so, you know, Tony Glover told me, he said, man, you're going to have this deal don't go out and do something stupid. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, go out and, I mean, there's no way I'll do something stupid. Okay. Uh, and so went out and, and ran really good. And, and Glover right away, okay, come in, come in. You know, I'm thinking, oh, something broke or something. He goes, no, he said, you went, you went way faster than you were supposed to be going. Says, so you're going to be fine. <laughs> so ended up running, racing, racing that car you know, for the next two or three years. Yeah, that's, I mean, you talked about Junie, went off from DK and then Junie, and it's something that I think that's missing from the sport today, unfortunately, through all the things that having those independents that allow opportunities for drivers that may not have the funding or have the talent or what, however it may be improve themselves, build themselves up, and show that they can drive a race car and then prove that they're uh, capable to get up to the next level, uh, which, of yep. course, in your case, was the was the Kodak uh, Chevy, but it was the Oldsmobile, and then became the Kodak then Chevy. Uh, you talked about Glover, and that's where, I mean, you qualified on pole at first, I was watching that race. Uh, I was telling Clayton that just before we got on. I mean, I was watching that race uh, a couple of days ago, actually, and I think that was your second or third start with uh, the team, and that's the home game for them. Uh, yeah. And that that relationship that you had with Tony Glover, you had that with two or three crew chiefs for sure, but you and Glover seemed to have that, you know, that you meshed really well. What was what was that like? How did I mean, it sounded like right from that, star, he kind of knew that he needed to reel you in because you had that aggressive mate. But how did that relationship develop over the years since you spent, you know, three, three and a half years with that team again? Well, Tony, Tony got to be a really good friend. And, I mean, I trusted him with the race car setup, everything. I mean, I just, you know, it's like, I mean, I I used to always call him Glove, and so, were, I mean, I always told him, I said, okay, Tony, 
there's there's uh, some places I don't run good good at, and one of them is Pocono, and one's on the road course. And I I mean I I'm terrible on the road course and terrible at Pocono. He said, Well, let me tell you something, boy. You ain't never wrote, drove one of my cars on the road course. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, whatever you say. And we went out to um to uh Sears Point and ended up um sitting on the pole and then got got black flag for jumping on the start. Yeah. And then went all the way to the back, and then come back and won the race. So, and he was right. Yeah, I was. A, I never yeah. drove a car like that. <laughs> that, that was a great, great, great That was a great win for you uh, there. But Bristol, nineteen ninety, uh, the night race at Bristol. That was your first career win. Um, you know, you had to hold off Rusty Wallace in the closing stages there. Rusty gave you a great battle at the end there, and you held him off. Uh, what was that like? I mean, to me, winning your first race and dominating, uh, I think I would rather do it the way you did, where you really had to hold off one of the best short track drivers in that generation to, to win your first race. What was that win like for you? That was awesome, you know, just um, I, I'm being able to, to race a cup car, being at Bristol. Being at you know, being somewhat being able to be competitive, um, it was just awesome being able to to do all that, and um, it was um, neat because it was um, the the Kodak team, Morgan McClure team, their home track, and you know so there was definitely a big party after, um, so um, we had a we had a good time, we basically um, you know. Shut the shut the um, track down for sure, and um, we just had a, you know, I mean it was just it was just you know so pleasing, and I mean I just I mean I wouldn't have been able to do it without Tony and Larry McClure and all the Kodak and all them because of you know all their support gave me confidence, and um ended up turning turning into a win. And. I mean, we've been talking about Bristol and how that how big that race was, but in terms of NASCAR and in, for your life and, you know, your dad being a stock car racer and yourself being a stock car racer, there's no bigger race than the Daytona 500. And you went out in your first full year driving for to the four team and you ended up, of course, there was stuff that went on uh with Earnhardt and Davey and late in that race, but you ended up winning that race. And what is yep. the biggest win in your career, I would assume, but 30 years, it's been, it's nearly 30 years on since that day, since that race. And what is, what is it, what did it mean then? And what does it mean now to, to you? being a Daytona 500 champion and always being known as Ernie Irvin, Daytona 500. You know, it, I mean, at the time it was awesome. It was, you know, something I'd never would have thought ever would happen. Um, but, you know, like today, I can look back on it and say, you know, never realized it was that important and, you know, that good to be able to, to win the Daytona 500. And, you know, now I'm always – known as Daytona 500 champ and 
Um, I mean, they can't take that away from you. Yeah, I for mean, sure. And what? Also, there's there was another thing that kind of was big with the Morgan McClure team was Ron Pittman's horsepower, and that was something yep. that went on, you know, not just when you were driving, but then when Sterling took over and how. Can you remember anything about that week or, you know, building up to it, not only qualifying or, or just, you know, during the twin 125s where you kind of felt like this might happen? Was there any kind of inclinations that you had that this could be something like this could actually happen? Everything came together? Well, I mean, the whole time we were, you know, even before the race weekend testing and, and things like that, we were, our car was like really, really good and really powerful enough. It handled really good. Everything was going right. And so then when we go back down for the race, um, qualifying and stuff, we were, we were really good, fast car was, you know, was right there under me. And, and, um, so we, we all had a bunch of confidence and, um, you know, and so, um, we ended up that, you know, or we, I don't know where we qualified, but we qualified good and, and, and raced good. And, um, you know, it was just, and it was a, it was a typical battle for Daytona. I mean, it's, you know, you never just hit an easy one. And, and yeah. I ended up having to, uh, pass Earnhardt for the lead on a restart. And, and then he got stuck, um, side by side with Davey and then, Davey wasn't going to just let him by, and then Earnhardt wasn't going to just let Davey by, so they were stuck together, and and so I was able to, you know, stretch it out a little bit more, and then then I think Earnhardt got a little bit sideways and collected Davey, and and then they both spun and they ended up under caution. What a, and what a great run you you had there uh, in the ninety one five hundred. Uh, moving along later, later into that season, uh, we get to where uh, a lot of fans remember, and just because it was courageous of you and, uh, and really something that, that was sort of unprecedented that we'd never really seen before, uh, you know, your aggressive style kind of got people, I guess they ruffled their feathers a little bit, um, and you stood up at the, at the driver's meeting at Talladega later on in 91 and really said, hey, you know, I'm going to try and be less aggressive and, and try and use my head a little bit more. Um, what do you think that did for your career? Uh, I know a lot of people, um, as far as fans, I think their opinions changed of you after that day because, um, you know, it, again, it took a lot of courage and, and to realize uh, something that, that was maybe true. Uh, what, what, what exactly, um, how did that affect your career from Talladega moving forward as far as the driver's meeting and standing up in front of all the drivers? Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident and it didn't hurt. Um, and I just felt like I wanted to get something off my, my, my shoulders and just, you know, talk to them, you know, up front and, you know, say it right there at the driver's meeting because you, you, you basically when you're saying it in, in front of everybody, then you're probably going to say the, tell the truth. And so, I mean, I just felt like it would be something good for me to do. Um, they had to, give the okay through um, Dick Beatty and and stuff to be able to even do it. And so, 
ended up was able to do it and and you know and then then the the most important part was is my my driving changed a little bit but I was a little more um little little less aggressive at certain times and I could still be aggressive at times but you just got to like you know I mean what what Earnhardt told me him and Richard Petty said he said I'm telling you if um you've got to you've got to respect the other guy's position if he's got that position he earned it and if you want to pass him you can pass him but you got to earn that pass and so you you ever everybody's everybody's trying to do the same thing they're all trying to 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 win the race and it ended up that um you know and it made a lot of sense it's like they they own that spot right there or do I want to steal it from them or do I want to race them for it and you know and then at the end of the end of the day we can talk about how good a race it was and i mean that that was seemed to be a lot better one year and you finished you finished 91 season with two wins uh 92 season with three wins you finished fifth and 11th in points in those years and then comes 1993 you start that year by winning at Talladega uh, but then, of course, we have the accident with Davey Allison at Talladega with the helicopter, uh, and unfortunately, he loses his life on July 13th. Um, how soon after that whole incident did the conversations come up with Robert Yates Racing? And, um, you know, I know there were some reports out there at the time that you had asked out of your contract at the end of the 93 season, but then Larry McClure uh, wanted it to happen a little bit sooner. Uh, how much of that was true, and how did that whole the whole talk start with Robert Yates Racing? Well, I mean, um, with the Robert Yates deal, we were at um, in Pocono, and my wife were in, in bed asleep, and a guy named Lee Morris, which is used to be the head of one of the head guys in Ford, they called us, and he said, "Hey, so um, he introduced himself." And I knew he was. And um, he said, hey, would you be interested in driving a 28 car? And I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I would love to drive it. But, I mean, I mean, there's no way I could do that. And he said, well, he said, so you would be interested in doing that? I said, yeah, well, I would, for, for sure. And I said, you know, but I have a contract with the four car. And so they, they said, well, if you if you could get out of your contract, would would you like to drive this car? I said, yeah, I would love to. They said, okay, we'll we'll work on that. And then then it was about I don't know three or four weeks later, three or four races later, um, they they called me and said, okay, um, we we got the program put together and you're going to be out of your contract um, at Darlington. And so that's when we started driving the four car or the 28 car. Okay. So that was, I mean, that was a big change because you had been with the four team and they basically gave you that um, stability, the career that put you on the map where you're able to be a guy, you were going to be in the cup two 
be a reason you're going to have this career. In terms of having to move over between manufacturers, I know that that was one big thing, but in terms of once you moved over, uh, how tough was it to leave Glover and leave that crew that uh, you had there and the and the momentum and that you had built there with the fort, um, and then further with that, then transition into this into the twenty eighth bunch with Robert Yates and Barry McReynolds, and what they were going through, considering they lost their driver, and it was somebody there was a connection there too with you and Davey in some senses. How was that having to come in and replace someone who was so beloved within that organization? Well, I mean, leaving the the four car, I mean, it was it was tough, um, but there was there were some things that I wanted that never got done, and so those those are things that led to, you know, me not being very happy about it, and then so then when that whole situation with um, the twenty eight car, it all materialized then. Then it's like, well, then when they they offered me the the deal, it's like, you know, I mean, all this stuff had been, you know, kind of like um, brewing, um, brewing at the at the poor car, and it's like, you know, you guys never did this, you never did that, you know, and so there was there was there was a, there was a lot of things that I was promised that didn't happen, so I mean, I I just felt like. Um, that's the reason that, that I even agreed to to doing the 28 car because there were so many things that weren't weren't doing what they were supposed to do, and so I felt like a, the best my best move would be to go there. And that led you to uh, a relationship with another guy who had a big impact on your career, uh, and that was Larry McReynolds. Um, obviously, McReynolds had come close to the championship in '92 with Davey. Uh, but what did he mean for your career? Uh, you know, he was sort of a stable guy even through the accidents, which we'll get to, uh, that was sort of there for you the whole time. Uh, what did Larry McReynolds mean to you and into your career? Well, Larry was he, was, he was one of them crew chiefs that, you know, he knew what he wanted, and he wanted to hopefully you would want the same thing, you know. If um, if I was gonna, you know, I wanted the car to be a little looser, you know, and and he if he if that if that's what he thought, then it was really good. I mean, it's just because we could we were thinking kind of alike, and that was what that's what really hit us off right away because, you know, I I would tell him what I was thinking about what the car was doing, and then he would he would tell me he says. Okay, this is what I'm going to do, and I said, okay, well, and I mean, he made a lot of good, good um decisions, and and um, the car ended up better about every time we um we went out, and so things were going in the right direction. So you finished. I mean, you got together with the 28 with Larry and that whole group uh, ran the Southern 500, but <clears throat> and you ended up winning at Martinsville pretty dominant performance, definitely dominated at Charlotte. You guys, I think, led all the six laps 
of the 500-mile race there uh, in 1993. And then you took off in 1994 and had a really solid start to the year. Uh, won Richmond, which was the last race for Davey that he had won. You won at Atlanta. And you were, if you hadn't won, you are running up front virtually every week. You were giving Earnhardt uh, a run for his money for that seven championship. Um, he also, of course, wants to know, I mentioned that briefly earlier with that Riley and Scott car, and you just destroyed everybody that day. Uh, for somebody, you had said that you weren't a great road course racer, but the stats say that you weren't that bad at road course racing because you won three road races. But uh, that's interesting in its own right. But um, the question I'm going to ask is, you know, it leads to, you know, the accident. You, what is, when it comes to um, that day, August 20th in 1994, um, what, what comes to mind? What do you remember of that day? Well, I mean, I kind of remember leaving, leaving the motor, the, the motor home and then going into the garage. And about about then, I don't remember anything until about 21 days later um, when I kind of came to in the hospital. And so it was just all all the rest of the stuff is blank. I mean, I I remember getting up that morning and then going into the into the um, the pits, and then I, I don't remember strapping in or anything but that was about that's about where my memory kind of kind of left me blow a tire and turn to hit the wall um and you talked about this in your book there was a procedure done uh at the track um that afternoon that you feel like really contributed to uh your saving your life and 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 your your uh impressive recovery um can you dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind? I know uh, it might be a little personal there, uh, but but just what that procedure was and uh, and how that really saved your life. Well, I mean, it's a I, 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 may, I may not pronounce it exactly right. It's a trachinometry. My wife's trying to tell me the same thing, and she <laughs> she's having trouble saying it too. But it's like <laughs> put a trach in your in your throat. And um, the so tracheotomy, yeah, yeah. It, it basically, it basically clears up your your air passage in a ventilator, basically, but without a ventilator. And um, so what they do is they do that, and then so basically it, it cuts your your throat, and and then then you're able to to breathe out of it. And so um, what what was really unique about the whole situation was is there was actually a trauma doctor right in the corner. Okay, there's how often is that ever gonna happen? Nowadays they may be um but in them days, I mean most of the time they didn't have a whole lot of anything. And so at the racetrack and there was a there was a trauma doctor right in the corner and so, so he, he, they were they were like the first ones to the car, you know, because you know they, they saw the wreck and you know so they went over there and, and so 
the the doctor was able to, you know, start, you know, doing the things that he needed to do right away. And so they were they were having to cut me out of the car and all that stuff. And then at this at the time, then then the whole the whole thing that really got kind of really um through through everybody a curveball is the doctor got his I don't know what it's called scaffold or all of his his instruments to be able to to do the trick and the knife was gone. Oh, the handle was missing from the knife. And so he had to do it, basically hold it, you know, with his, with his hand and do it. And, and so I, I guess they told me that that's the reason it's, it's not as, as smooth a cut as it normally would be. <laughs> yeah, they had to go in and repair it after that. But, mm. yeah. So, I mean, it's and, – and I, and I actually – Got to see the, the 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 doctor that was at the um, infill care center right there that saved my life and I mean I got to be friends with them and um, they were just all good people and they were they were you know they're the ones that saved my life and then plus I owe my whole other problem the other part of it to Roger Pensky because Roger Pensky had a helicopter at the racetrack. And at that time, nobody had a helicopter at the racetrack, you know, for practice and everything. Well, and right. Roger had one there for practice ready. And so, sure enough, wow. if all those things had to been, you know, put together right, if there would have been just one thing not in place, then it probably, I'd have probably never, never re- recovered. Wow. I mean, it's crazy to think about all the. That's it. Seems to be that way in a lot of the stories of these big accidents. You know, James Inch was another example of that more recently at Indianapolis and the things that had to come together for him to recover and get out of his situation. But for you as well, it's it, it, it's it's amazing to think all those years ago because of the way Stacey was. Um, Thinking coming back now, you mean it was a big, uh, it it was a big challenge. Of course, you had issue with uh, with your left eye and uh, amongst other things, of course. Um, but thinking about North Wilkesboro and coming back after being away from driving more or less since August of '94. And 13 months later, you're jumping into a, a race car and a race truck. What was that like to get back in, and and not only get back in, but be competitive? Because you ran really well in your own truck uh, on the Saturday, and then on the Sunday in the 88 car, the first race of the uh, 88 car with Todd Heritage, you um, ended up leading that race. Um, what was that whole weekend like? How did it all come together? What was the, any fears that you had getting back in? And then as the weekend went on, how did it feel to you? Well, I mean, basically it was a, it was a process with my whole recovery. Um, I was ready to – I wanted to go racing at Daytona the year before. 
and that was only about three months after my accident. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm bound and determined. I want to do it. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I could barely even, barely even talk, but I mean, I was still wanting to do it. And, and, you know, so Robert Yates and, and Lee Morris with Ford, they, they said, Hey, so let's make a, let's make a plan. And we make plans that we have steps. And when, when, when you, when you get up this step, and you go to the next step and see, you know, we'll just try to keep improving and then try to make it where, okay, when we reach our plateau, then, then, you know, you should be able to be back in a car. And I mean, okay, I'm kind of a simple guy and it makes sense. You know, so we went and we tested, you know, because I, all I had an eye patch on. So, I mean, I, I was, you know, driving with one eye and so your depth perception is kind of messed up um but i mean you know first thing we did we went down to um naples florida and run on a road course and i mean i you know i mean i did respectful i mean i was all right and you know then we then we went to um um uh, darlington and ran in darlington with my um, my bush car and ran really competitive and then we went to Martinsville and um, Robert Robert Yates had been talking to Mike Helton um, with NASCAR and and you know Mike Helton was saying okay Robert you watch him and you let me know what, what you think if he if he can still do it or not and so I mean, you know, and Robert, Robert's got a lot of credibility with NASCAR and Mike Helton. So then, you know, we went out and tested at Martinsville and and ran really, really competitive. Um, and and Robert told Mike Helton, he said, if I didn't physically see him get in the car with an eye patch on, his helmet on, I would have never thought he'd ever been out a week. I mean, he said, he said it was wow. just like, just like he'd been doing it the whole year, you know? And, and so Mike Helton said, he said, well, what about the eye patch? I mean, was he all right with that? He said, I mean, he never, he hit every line perfect. I mean, he run within a couple tenths of the track record, you know, it was just, it was competitive, wow. you know? And so if, if it hadn't have been for, the credibility that Robert Yates has, and and then with with Mike Helton, I mean it would have probably never happened. Um, and then also, the one the one time that Robert had told me when I was recovering, he said, and this was in in our goals and trying to put things you know in order, and you know it, um, Robert told me he says, no matter what. When you're ready to come back, I'm going to have a race car for you. You know, Robert never thought he'd ever have to have one. And it just kept <laughs> one thing better and then better. And it's like, and then Robert, was, I mean, he he told me himself, he said, that was the proudest, proudest moment of my career. You know, being able to 
put you back in a car. He said, it was the scariest moment in my career, you know, to put you back in a car, you know. So it was, um, I mean, Robert Yates was a, was a great guy. And um, so I owe a lot of, of my career to him and, you know, and then the other, the other people I drove for. Yeah, he, I mean, no doubt his credibility was, was there. Um, he provided that 88 car for you, ran three races for that 88 car in 95. Um, you get to 1996, you come back full-time, finish 10th in the standings. You win two races, you win North, New Hampshire, and then uh, you win at Richmond. 97, you also win at the track that nearly took your life there three years earlier at Michigan. Uh, of those three wins, of, of, and really since when you came back, uh, is Michigan the one that really, um, you know, stands into your mind as one that you really remember? I mean, I know Kim was emotional in victory lane. You were emotional in victory lane. Uh, what did that win at Michigan mean to you? And and is that the win that really kind of sticks with you? It was your last win, but is that the win that sticks with you uh, in your comeback? You know, I mean, in my I mean, in my comeback, I mean, obviously, I mean, I loved racing at Richmond, and that was the. I had won there before, and then I won there when I came back. And, I mean, it was just awesome. And then, and then allowed New Hampshire. I loved that racetrack. And and so, uh, Michigan, obviously, because of all of the situation and things that happened, um, them basically saving my life, and then being able to go out and win the race. I mean, that, I don't I don't know how you could you could top it anymore. Um, I always say there should be a book wrote about it. And, um, but we haven't, we haven't got nobody to write the book yet. It's that's, for sure. I mean, considering the, all the having to come back from what you came back from and then, uh, to be able to win not only once but three times in such a competitive series, you beat Jeff at uh, Jeff Gordon at Richmond when he was in his peak in his prime, and New Hampshire was uh, a difficult racetrack. Um, Michigan, of course, playing that dragon uh, was a huge deal. As me as a fan, of course, but for you too to see that happen, um, it didn't. You ended up not uh, staying with. Robert Yates, of course, different things came up, uh, and you ended up moving up to moving out to the MB2 Motorsports team. Uh, it was a Pontiac uh, sponsored by Eminem Mars Skittles. Uh, what prompt? What? How did it work out with them in terms of connecting, making that deal happen? Who played a role in you moving over there? And uh, what did you think about what what brought you? Uh, what were the positives that made you think that that would be a good move uh, at that point? Well, I mean, um, the the move that that got me over there was because um, Texco wasn't coming back sponsor at that at that time, and that's what that's what I got explained to, um, and. So they said they weren't going to be able to um, redo my contract. So I was available to look for something else, and um, that was that was kind of heartbreaking, knowing that you know all the things that we had been through 
Um, but I mean, that's just sometimes business business overcomes um, a lot of stuff, and so we. So I mean, I, I knew Jay Fry, and um, and then then obviously with Eminem Mars, and I felt like that. I mean, I had two or three other teams that were you know that I could maybe do stuff with, and I just felt like that it was. I mean, I just felt like that the the 36 car had all of the tools that just had to be all put together. And um, so then you had to, you had to work all the tools and work them right. And so I felt like that, that we could, we could do that. Um, one, one of the things, one of the things that is on my mind, um, it's like when I was driving the 28 car before I got hurt, it was like, the the race car was the same level I was was. I mean, I had the best race car and the race car had the best driver. You know, that we were we were we're right there on a sheet of paper. And then then when I got hurt, I was about maybe sixty percent of what I was. And I was still fortunate enough to win three more times, but it was a lot more difficult. And, um, and then the thing is, is, is I, is I say that because I was only probably 60% of what I was, then the team had to carry me a lot. They had to, you know, you know, I mean, it was just, it it wasn't carry me. It was just, it was just, it's like, you know, they, they were, they were able to take the slack, slack, slack up. So, um, and when I moved over to the M&M's deal, the problem is the team, the team was on the same level I was on, and I was only on 60%. So, I think, I think that was a lot of the problem. Um, you know, a new team, um, basically get all put together, um, and, and, you know, and then me, you know, Basically, I mean, I mean, I, it's it's kind of hard for me to say myself that I was only about sixty percent. I mean, I, I mean, I just I look at that and say, you know, those are those are some of the the downfalls that you know was when I went to the to the um, MB2 deal, and because I mean they, I mean I felt like that it was going to be like I was with the twenty eight car that they were going to able to carry me. Well, you know, I mean, I, I never, I never really come up with any of that till after, and I start thinking, it's like, you know, that that may be, may have been the problems. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I just felt like that, you know, I mean, there's just there's things that I was able to do before that I wasn't able to do after, and I mean, I could give a lot better feedback on the race car. Oh. We got a dog that's in, in heat, and my other <laughs> dog's going crazy. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it was just, it was just, uh, I mean, it, it was, it, it wasn't good. Um, with the thirty-six car, we just, we we didn't hit on it very good. We and we did, we did respectable for what what we were doing. Um, 
We didn't win no races. We sat on some poles. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think in the future it was going to keep getting better. But the problem was then I got hurt again. Yeah. Right. And I'm in my own bush car. So um, mm-hmm. that that kind of kind of put it into all that. Now, do you have, do you have um, more time, Ernie? I mean, I know we've kind of kept you here for a while. Do you have, we have a couple more questions we want to ask. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so August 20th, 1999, it's coincidentally uh, five years after um, the accident that, almost, that you almost lost your life in. Uh, and that was the accident you're talking about in Michigan in your, in your Bush car, what is now the Xfinity Series. Um, you know, you spent a couple days in the hospital – um, was it a tough decision? Because when you announced your retirement a little bit later there before Darlington, uh, you made it out like it was a pretty easy decision as far as, you know, wanting to spend time with your family, uh, thinking about the big picture, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Was it a tough decision, though, deep down, knowing how much you loved it and how uh, just how great you were at it, uh, that you were never going to be able to step into a race car again? What was kind of, you know, going through your mind as far as contemplating retirement? Well, it was definitely a tough decision. Um, Now, looking back on it, it was really the only decision that I had um, because, I mean, today, if they said, you want to drive our race car, I couldn't do it. I mean, I could go out and I could make the the laps, but I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be very competitive. So, and that's, that's what I was worried about. After the first accident, I mean, I just had so much confidence, and I wasn't, I wasn't gonna, I just wasn't gonna let it, that defeat me. And so, after the second one, I mean, I just, I just felt like I was already, I was only sixty percent, and, and then, and then, what was I gonna be after that? You know, and it, it wasn't gonna be any better. And I just felt like it was just, you know. I mean, I had a good, a great career. It it didn't last long enough, but it's just that's sometimes the cards that you're dealt. And so I just felt like it was the smartest thing I could do is retire and we'll be around when the kids grow up. And you know, and I still am. The, the kids live right here on the property and and um, stuff like that. So it, it's real. It's it was a, a great decision. I mean, I think one other piece that was going on in terms of you retiring is you had a race team. You were uh, connected with the Simo brothers, and uh, Boris uh, Boris said was uh, your driver driving a truck, and then you had moved your team up. Uh, was you would have you had them, and you had Federated Auto Parts as your sponsor, which talking about Trader, they moved with him and was was the plan because you were you had retired to become kind of a figurehead, a front man on that organization and to move move it up the cup. And what ended up happening to where it kinda of all went away and uh Federated ended up moving on to other things. Yeah, I mean, you know that that um how that whole deal was put together, you know, uh, Mark Simo, which was the owner of No Fear, and yeah. um, Boris, 
they 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 called me and they said, "Hey, would you be interested in, in starting a truck team?" And you know, and this was this was only a couple, maybe a year or so after my accident and retirement, and and so I said, "Man, I would love to. I just don't know. I don't have the money to do it." They said, "Well, we'll come talk to you." And so they flew out in California, and um, and so we sat and talked, and you know, they said, "Okay, here's." Here's the deal. Your name's going to be behind it. It's going to be your in your shop. Everything. We'll pay all the bills. We'll we'll get all the sponsorship we can. You know, it's, it's it doesn't cost you any money. We just want your name, but you know, your name on it. And you know, and then and then if you want to be in the shop, we would love you to be there and you know, help, help run the team. And so, I mean, it was a perfect deal for me. Um, I wasn't obligated to a lot, but I was obligated, you know? And, um, so it was just a perfect deal. And then, um, everything, um, we, we ran two or three or four seasons, I think. Um, and I mean, we were, we, we ran decent, but I mean, we, we, I mean, you know, basically started with, I think Joe Rutman. Yeah. And and I think I think we won one race with Joe, I think. I'm not sure. And then we um August. And then we won yeah, he won in August in ninety five. Yeah. Yeah, and then we then we then we ended up um I think we got um um Ryan Brian Rapner and oh, the one eight hundred. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got had him driving for a while. And then we end up in. Then it's like so. Then they end up saying, "Hey, why don't we just get Boris to drive it?" So well, okay. I mean, you know, Boris is kind of a a goofy guy, but you know, he, he <laughs> seems to run a road course really good. Um, but when when it was all said and done, Boris is a goofy guy, and he ran a road course really good. The ovals was not very very good for him. So. Uh. <laughs> But I mean, it was it was a, sure. it was a really good experience. I mean, I enjoyed working with them. They were a lot of fun. Um, there there's never a dull mo- dull moment with um with Boris around. Um, so we we had a good time, and then ended up that um you know the, the the sponsorship wasn't enough to keep us going the path that they wanted to do. Hey. The path that they wanted to to take, and so they ended up starting to have a a shortfall of money, and it was like you know that that was that was that was um riding on the wall for you know wait a minute we already have a trouble paying the bills that's your guys' right. responsibility you know and so it just you know we were I mean I think um. We had some um, leadership that wasn't on the same page that the people that are paying the bills was on. And, um, right. hey, so so when we, we were, you know, when we were trying to, hey, <laughs> dog. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh- 
it, it was just, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a good deal. It, it was really good for me for, you know, my retirement and doing things like that. Um, and it just ended up that, that, you know, the sponsorship um, was too short for doing what they wanted to do. And they, mm-hmm. they, right. they ended up starting a motor, a motor department, everything. And it's, you know, and so I always say that we were, we weren't a race team. We were a, a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we would have just been a race team and we would concentrate on racing, then we probably wouldn't. We'd have rented motors or, or you know, you do everything. You, you, you do your best on the race car. And and then 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 everything else, you know, you you put together and, and should be better. But it ended up that you know um, they were doing so much and and we didn't have the money to really do it right. Right. Mm-hmm. How about how about um, present day Ernie? You know what what does your life consist of now? I know you, under, you help your daughter with horses, and uh, your son was racing. I don't know if he still currently is. But what's the regular day consist of now for Ernie Irvin after retirement and after being out of a race car for 21 years? Well, let me just tell you today. Okay, so got up this morning, and oh, I went to um, Lowe's and had to get a sprinkler head for one of my sprinklers that are that it broke, and so then I went there, and then I went to to the um, lawnmower place because I'd ordered some parts to fix one of my mowers that it broke. And so I came back and with the parts and, and stuff like that and said, okay, well, so then I started putting the mower back together and it was kind of amazing. I got it, I got it all working. Everything went perfect. Things, things drove good. Everything. So it's like, okay, Accomplished that. That was a good one. And then, then I had to fix the sprinkler head. So I got that all done. Fixed that. And then, then, then I ended up. Then I spent about another two hours pressure washing, trying to clean up all the mess that I had made on working on the mower and and all that stuff. So um, it was just a normal, common day. That's awesome. Well, Ernie, we appreciate it so much. I know we took a lot of your time up, and uh, you don't have to do that. We appreciate you so much and, and really enjoyed watching yeah. you and, and appreciate you coming on and talking in circles tonight. Okay, thank you. Hey, cool. Thanks, okay. Ernie. Okay, uh, that was that was Ernie Irvin there. Uh, just a, a great uh, interview I, I think we did there, Philip. A, a great job yeah. uh, on with your end, too. Um, you know, final thoughts of uh, wrapping this up um, – you know, you, you and Ernie are a fan. You, you told that to me when we first met. Uh, what's the one thing, and, and I know we've, we've been on the air for over an hour, uh, but what's the one thing that really sticks out in your mind as far as uh, his career and being an Ernie Irvin fan and, and really um, the one thing that sticks out in your mind from that? I mean, it would be before I even was a fan, you would say it was Daytona, but in one sense. But to me, it's him coming back and being 60%, which I didn't, that's something, I mean, obviously he wasn't 100% because you never come back to something that severe. 
and it's been seen with other drivers, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. as one example, but to be 60% and basically driving with one eye and to win in the Cup Series one race, let alone three races, in the, with the other stuff that was going on, for me as a fan, you know, being around people that were fans of guys that were winning a lot, and that was one thing. But they didn't go through what Ernie went through. And for what he had to go through just to even get to the point to even be in a top-flight ride, um, that is amazing. And the, the insight he gave on MB2, I was here, I probably would love to ask him who else was in play in terms of where he could have went, but the fact that MB2 really wasn't ready, and it's true because you look at it, it took until Mark Martin. Jerry Nadeau had a couple of uh, some good runs in 03 before his his accident, and then Mark Martin, before they really became a decent team, and then they ran out of money. Um, Ernie saw things that were there that could have possibly came through, but the fact that he was able to beat all those challenges and win again. Um, it says a lot yep. about other people that we see in today's time. And, uh, and it's just awesome. And um, I mean, it, right. was, uh, it was an unbelievable to have the time to even talk to a guy that's like a year old. So. It, it really was. I tell you, you know, and, and you brought up a good point. There's so many questions, so many more questions that, that we could have asked them, and uh, it was just there wasn't just enough time, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there had questions for Ernie or thinking about questions as well while we were talking to him. Um, but yeah, you know that's the thing that sticks out. I mean, he was in '94 that year. Uh, man, Earnhardt was pretty much untouchable in the early '90s, and when he went out there in that 28 car and he just blossomed. I mean, that was such a perf. I felt like he was a perfect guy for that ride at the perfect time with the perfect crew chief. And unfortunately, you know, it all came to an end in Michigan there in 94. But the way he battled back, um, you know, it, it's really – I would say that they could make a movie about it, but people wouldn't believe it because they would be like, there's just no way that happened. And, and especially with how quick it went. Um, and it did, and, and it's really remarkable. It's a real great uh, story of survival. And, um, you know, to me, of all the wins – all the things he did in his NASCAR career, for him to battle back the way he did, get into it and be very competitive, uh, winning races um, and after a, a death at a wreck that nearly uh, took his life, um, that is that is the, the staple of Ernie Irvin, and that is what uh, made him so great and makes him memorable here um, in his NASCAR career for sure. Uh, I want to thank Ernie Irvin again. Tremendous job. That we had so much fun interviewing you and, and appreciate you. Uh, and also uh, Philip Matthew. Great job again, as always, tonight. Uh, if you like what you heard tonight and you, um, you really enjoyed the interview with Ernie Irvin, we're going to try and do these pretty regularly with, with some old-school drivers. Um, so like our Facebook page, like us on Twitter, um, and we'll see you next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.